0: Canucks Central Thursday. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shaw with you in the Kintec studio. Kintec, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? A lot to get into over the next hour before we get into the Canucks Central pregame show as they will take on the St. Louis Blues to begin a seven-game roadie. Should be a difficult one, but we'll see how they do. They've uh, handled most of this season with uh, with class, sat, I would mm-hmm. say, the Vancouver Canucks. And when you say everything is coming up Canucks, uh, you kind of sound like Millhouse, but I'm going to sound like Millhouse right now because everything is coming up Canucks. Everything's gone right for them on the ice. Well, mostly everything mm-hmm. has gone right for them, especially with the way they are number one in the Western Conference here on January the 4th. And things continue to get better throughout the organization. We saw Jonathan Leckermacki score another two goals today, leading Sweden to the World Junior Hockey Championship final on home soil. And you start to look at it. And yeah, they've only got the three prospects all on Team Sweden in this World Junior Championship. But like, even the prospect pool is looking a lot better today than it did when Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvine first took over this ship.
1: Oh, I mean, no kidding. And, you know, you're right. It's only three at, at this tournament, uh, but they're all having a pretty big impact, especially yeah. the Karimaki. But Will Anders look good. Pedersen's look decent. So, I mean, they, they've shown some quality with those three players, right? So you feel good about all three of them, especially Karimaki. Uh, Hunter Bustevich, too, uh, leads the OHL in scoring. Yes. Uh, and obviously he's been shooting up the ranks. as a right-handed defenseman prospect, and you look at a guy like Arshti Baines in Abbotsford, the yep. success he's having already. So you start looking at some of the guys they've drafted, some of the guys they've signed as free agents. Niels Oman's graduated now. He's playing on the big club, right? But yeah, the it, it's looking a lot better than it did a few years ago, and it's not like, say, a top 10 in the league prospect pool. No. But it's respectable. Yeah.
0: No, they've gone from basically like bottom three or four in the league and have jumped it up to maybe middle of the pack if you want to be really optimistic about it, glass half full about it, but probably somewhere in the 18 to 22-ish range sort of thing, like a little bit below the middle of the pack maybe is is where you would set them up. And I'm sure once the World Juniors are over, all the big prospects, uh, websites, and and prognosticators are going to have their lists, their updated lists, and what each organization looks like. But it's been an incredible jump, and you know, probably the one that, has moved it the most is Lekarimaki because, you know, after the season he had last year and there's a lot more negativity around the player, you're starting to wonder, oh, did the Canucks miss on this guy? He really had a difficult age eight draft plus one season. And now the way that he's played in the SHL, he may end up being best forward of the world junior championships here, depending on how uh, that final goes. His star has grown incredibly Mm -hmm. over the last not even six months since we began the hockey season this year. My only question about him now, honestly,
1: is how will he adjust to North American ice and that style of play?
0: And how long does that take? Yeah.
1: yeah. That's kind of my question, right? And is he going to be able to handle that uh, more immediate pressure? And is he going to be able to excel enough along the boards and those critical areas for him to gain the trust to play high level? It's one thing to make it to the NHL and, mm-hmm. and do what is doing. Yeah. Another to like break through and then be a legitimate top six player. And it's overcoming some of the challenges a guy like Hoglander has or just being so overwhelming with, with your ability to score. And his shot is like plus plus. Like, yeah. he's got a real plus-plus well, release you know, and uh, shot on the, On
0: the Hoaglander comparison, like, Hoglander, as much as he scored pretty well this year, doesn't have that kind of a shot. Like Not even close. Like, Mackie, I mean, yes, here in this World Junior Championship, even in the SHL, he's a guy that can score from distance, mm-hmm. and... Uh, Those guys just don't grow on trees in the NHL.
1: No, and he's smart. He's really good at You saw a couple of chances he had even in this game. Uh, The way he he dips in and dips out, changes the angle of his shot. Like He's very deceptive. He had nine shot attempts in this game? Yeah, he's very deceptive with his shot, too. You're right. A high-volume shooter, which is something you like. He's aggressive in getting that shot off. And he shoots in a variety of ways. You saw uh, the slap shot he scored on, an absolute rocket. So he has that in his arsenal. It's not just a wrist shot. It's not just a snap shot. he's, He's got really wonderful hands. He's a guy, to your point, he has a ceiling that makes a prospect pool more interesting. Him yes. and Willander, I'd say, as well. I mean, he's progressing, too, and it's going to take some time. But obviously, if he's a top four, top pairing potential right-hand defenseman who can skate and play physical the way he can, Like that's a real big find. But if LeCarrie hits on everything, he can be a high-level goal scorer. Like yeah. We're talking 30 goals plus in the NHL. And when you have a prospect like that in your midst, well it does really uh,
0: lift the entire tide, so to speak. It's uh, it's really impressive to see how he's progressed, and it's kind of the player that the Canucks are looking for, right? Now, he's not going to be here for a couple of years, but you know what are the types of players that um, you want to find in the first round of the draft? The easy answer is center or right shot D. But if you can find a goal-scoring winger, I think that is also something that is uh, difficult to find outside of the NHL draft. Because those guys, they tend to not come all that easily available. And uh, we'll see what happens with Sam Reinhart and and, uh, William Nylander. But it looks like those guys are both going to end up staying with their teams to really drive home the point. Goal-scoring wingers, as much as we say wingers don't have the same value as they used to. Guys that really drive play and score, goal scorers, they'll still have lots of value around the league. That, and also the fact that he might come in on an entry-level
1: contract yeah. at some point over that course, whether it's year two of the end, like year three of it or whatever it is, but when he's going to be cheap and controllable, yeah. essentially. He's going to come into a lineup where hopefully you have Pedersen signed up. You still have your other big guys, who potentially signed up. You're going to need to have players contribute on entry-level, low-level contracts, but also at a high level. Yeah, And if him and Willander in a few years, now when the team is entering that next window potentially or extending the window, they're the guys that can maybe put your team over the top or continue or that window a bit longer, for instance, right? I mean, they're going to be real critical uh, pieces here, and they need both to hit. That if they hit, like we are talking about this team being able to
0: extend that window. One of the things about uh, Willander it, and... Look, it is, uh, I guess, somewhat subjective and it is in the eye of the beholder because I know there are some uh, prospect experts that aren't totally in love with Willander's game. They might prefer, you know, his Swedish teammate Axel sandin Pelika over, over Tom Willander. Um, but <laughs> based on his production at BC so far and what you've seen from Hunter Brustevich, I don't think it's all that crazy to say the Canucks have two defense, like two of the higher value defense prospects that are prospects and Mm -hmm. currently outside of the NHL. Two of the best, most coveted valuable defensemen that are outside of the NHL. Now, you know, Brant Clark is probably number one on that list. He just got called up by the LA Kings. He's probably coming off of that prospect ranking. Um, the Ducks, they've got Olin Zellweger and Tristan Luneau. Um, but I think you can look through a lot of those lists and a lot of teams in the NHL and their top prospects, and you might say Lander and Brustevich might stack up pretty much against any other team's top D prospects in the entire NHL. You mentioned Olin Zellweger. He was also a second-round
1: pick. A yeah. bit higher uh, in 2021, 20, Yeah, but he was a second-round pick too, right? And now he's one of the most coveted defensemen, yeah. not in the National Hockey League, right? Brustevich, we'll see. Like you know, ultimately, if he can continue that type of
0: he, he leads the OHL in points. He, he does not, draft plus one season. No, no.
1: What I mean is like, oh, like d- down the road, like yeah, is he going to yeah. be this like top four defenseman for you. Like, it's is he, still
0: hard to project what he could be at the NHL. Yeah, game.
1: and is he a guy who um, can put up points, but can he play the all around game and everything? Yeah. So I'm just not getting like I'm getting overly hyped. You got to keep an even keel over the prospects, right? Maybe and, and be encouraged. But I mean, it's, it's like last year with Lekaramaki. Yeah.
0: Last year with Lekarimaki, yeah, it was last year. I think people got way too down on Lekarimaki last year, and are you going to get way too up on Hunter Brustevich after this season? That's kind of
1: how I am at where I'm at, but very encouraged, right? And to your point, now you can look at the prospect pool and say, hey, they got two defensemen who could be two of the better defensemen, not in the National Hockey League, yeah, especially as right-handed defensemen. And when you start looking at again extending that window, we, we talk about. And also having the types of hitting the types of home runs you need to hit to be able to extend that window and truly contend longer, you need to get second round picks that contribute. The last time this Canucks team had a second round pick to play at a high level is their netminder, yeah, Thatcher Demko,
0: and the other one would be Hoaglander.
1: Yeah, but I mean, but, hi, I'm talking about like star yeah, level, high yeah. level, impact level. Yeah.
0: Because most teams, especially top, top teams, end up having those guys. Yeah. right? Vegas has got them. Um, Tampa certainly has found guys outside of the, the first round that have hit pretty high for them. So elite teams always find those guys. And you know what? It seemed to be trending that way before the regime change. But even in the true drafts that this regime has had, you see, Elias Pettersson, um, DPD. Mm-hmm. He's having a solid tournament, playing a physical, steady game for for Sweden as well. And has you know, projectable NHL talent. Does he get there, and how big of a level, like how high up the lineup can he play? I think there's more of a ceiling there for him mm-hmm. than a Brustevich or or Willander, of course, but still. A third-round pick that has projectable NHL talent. Uh, Kirill Kudratsev was a seventh-round selection for this team, was one of the finalists for OHL Defenseman of the Year last year. He's got 27 points already in the O this year, so his points per game is up Mm -hmm. from where it was a year ago and could be projecting uh, as OHL Defenseman of the Year finalist again. They might have two of the three OHL defenseman finalists of the year if uh, you really want to get super excited and optimistic about it. It's maybe a bit of a long shot on Kudriatsev to do it again, but Bristavich leading the league in points feels like a shoe in at this point for that uh, type of award. All of this is to say the organization is running a lot better mm-hmm. at sort of every single level right now sat and it brings because this is i know that there is a, a a want to be like hey the window's just opening but it may not be all that long look at how many draft picks and uh things that they've spent to just to get here where they are right now and making the trade yeah. for Heronic instead of keeping that first rounder when they could have had Oliver Moore or Axel Sandine Pelica, like I get all those arguments. I hear all those arguments, um, but I think it would be disingenuous to say that even though they've spent some of this draft capital, they haven't been adding to the prospect pool at the same time, while also really putting in what feels like a better development plan for yeah. their prospects. Than, was when, than what was in place before. Well,
1: look at the number of people involved. Mike Commissaric, yeah. for instance, you know Chris Higgins and how closely he's been working with all these guys. But then you go overseas, you have guys uh, like Samuelson who's been working uh, with players as well. So you, you start going through it and you're like, okay, well, they, they've added a lot more people into the developmental program, yeah. right? And they have more voices that can help these players out. And especially with how they've invested in Abbotsford particularly, that's really become like a real strong foundational base for them to be able to work with players so closely and get the Sedins involved to get there to work with these guys and get that type of interaction with players. Like it goes a long way. Yeah. And part of the reason you're seeing Hoaglander, and I know you've mentioned this, like you can attribute him as a developmental success story to this, this regime. Yeah. yeah. Because of how they worked with him last year, what he's doing now, for instance, and you hope to see the same type of returns with facility put Yeah. Right. And, I know Philip Johansson hasn't done anything spectacular yet, but you still talk to people with the team. And they still like him. And there's a thought that maybe later in the year, next year that he can still maybe find something. And they're working very hard with these players, right? And it's already showing some strong dividends. And that should give you at least the hope that if the players don't work, it's not going to be because they didn't have the opportunity. Yeah, It's not going to be because they didn't have the right support system. It's going to be because they just couldn't make it. And if you can create that environment, you're, gonna, you're ahead of the game. And sometimes it just comes down to the guy, right? Yeah. Like whoever that is. But at least take away a lot of the pitfalls, and they've certainly done that from a, from a developmental standpoint.
0: Uh, Jeff and East Hill question, how come we haven't seen Baines in the NHL yet? Not even once do you want to talk about a four-checking, hard-checking forward. I would figure he might be one of them. Uh, Baines leading the Abbotsford Canucks in points right now for a time was leading the entire AHL mm-hmm. in points. Um I'd say he's on the radar, but we've we've touched on this a little bit yesterday, Jeff. Uh, it feels <sighs> Carlson has been the first call up. And that's the guy that they've gone to on a couple of occasions now. It just feels like the plan is more for Baines and, and even Pod Colson that they just want them to continue to develop at the AHL level for now.
1: Well, and if you look at Baines's trajectory, too, and how he's kind of gone... You know, he was obviously signed as an undrafted free agent, I mean, a player who showed a lot of promise, but he's a guy who was also affected, I thought, in a big way because of the pandemic yeah. and how the season ended when he was just finding himself with the Red Deer Rebels. The next year, we all know, was an absolute mess. And then finally, and at this point, he's 20 years old, he has a massive year. He plays like a star, scores 43 goals, has 112 points, gets a contract with the Vancouver Canucks, right? What does he do his first year in Abbotsford? Gets in, gets his feet wet, shows some promise, right? 38 points in 66 games, that's nothing that's to scoff at, you know, at the AHL level. But he kind of played a bottom six role. Now he's taking another step to play a top six role. Yeah. And if he can actually be that type of player, like, what if this guy is one of those guys that keeps blooming more late and late. yeah. And he just needs a bit more runway here, developmental developmental time, to truly reach its ceiling. Yeah. Don't cut that short right now, man. Let him do his thing. Yeah. Let him go out there and play. And and maybe after the deadline or something, or maybe he gets a cup of coffee as a reward, sure, <laughs> but don't expect him this year to be a guy who makes a big difference. They may have to lean on him at some point, but I think for him, the focus has to continue to be work on your game at that level, get a good run in the postseason with Abbotsford as well. And then next year, now he's, In training camp, he's a legitimate candidate to make the team. Yeah. And next year, maybe not only does he make the team, maybe he carves out a role for himself, right? But I think you need to give him more runway here to still grow as a player. 27 points in 27 games, fantastic. Yeah. But can he get to 60 games with 60 points? And then what, is he, what type of player could he be when he has the details he has and also a production he might have?
0: Well, you look at um, the NHL right now, Sam Lafferty and Dakota Joshua have been big contributors this year. Both are unrestricted free agents, both looking at yeah. uh, fairly significant raises with the way that they've played so far this year for the Vancouver Canucks. You know, I was looking at um, some, of, some things at, at, uh, at cap friendly, and you look at cost per goal. And a lot of Canucks end up coming on this list. <laughs> Cost per goal. Guess who's high on the list? Dakota Joshua making 825 this year and has nine goals. You have Sam Lafferty high on that list mm-hmm. at 115. Pew Suter's now high on that list. He's got 1-6 uh, this season. A lot of these guys that they have found have produced very well. Even Nils Hoglander finding himself very high on that list for the 10 goals at $1.1 $1. $1 million. So, this, like, there's going to be opportunity for some of these AHL players. I think of Ratu next year, mm-hmm. Pod Colson next year, Baines next year, all of these guys fighting to graduate uh, from the AHL. But with Baines, he's just. The one note we took away, or certainly I took away from from watching him in Victoria, uh, dog on a bone, he has that mentality, is fighting for everything that he's going to get, and I think they love that about him Mm -hmm. and that mentality that he has as a player, but the speed he... Increased the pace of play, he truly increased, which is what was going to need to happen, and that's translated into his point production at the AHL level this year.
1: Oh, it's a fantastic point, and you know, my skepticism about asking too much or expecting too much of him was ultimately the pace. Yeah. Can he play at the pace at the NHL level for him to be more than somebody who gets a cup of coffee, right? Can he be more than a PDG type? Yeah. And I don't mean that as a diss, right? And and again, we've given PDG his love for what he's done this year two-year contract and all that, but he's 30 years old now. Like he is what he is, yeah. right? Like a depth type of player that can help you out. But, lacks the type of pace and overall ability to really be an everyday high-level player for an extended period of time mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong with being that type of guy as a career like it's great but it was about the pace and I still think he can he, sh- he can and has to get a little bit quicker but now the gaps close to a point where yeah with one more off season, maybe he's there yeah you know and, and that just it's a huge testament to his work ethic and the organization with how they've worked with him as well. Uh,
0: More questions coming in at the Dunbar Lumber Text Message Inbox. Derek from Maple Ridge. Um, What's the update on Jet Wu? Wondering how he's progressed this year. Haven't heard much about him lately.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think Jet Wu is what he is at this point, which is, you know— a depth AHL, NHL defenseman AHL defenseman yeah and uh, is he ever going to play NHL games I mean he has an NHL contract maybe injuries hit maybe at some point he develops and maybe he needs to be the Guillaume Brisebois where he's 24 25 and perhaps finally you know can get there but he's not anywhere near you considering him being an option
0: for the team yeah he's a right shot and was drafted in the second round I feel like NHL games are somewhere in his future because he has progressed like you talk to people around the team they've been pleased with how he's continued to progress and he's quieted his game down and sort of realizing where he's going to have to improve in order to have a chance at playing nhl games but uh still lower on the depth chart right now the canucks would have to have a few right shot uh, injuries in order for Jet Wu to be on the radar for a call-up and play some NHL games. Yeah. Because, I, you know, he's still probably behind even Cole McWard, right? Yeah. So, you know, th- there'd have to be a, a couple of injuries before Jet Wu gets the call.
1: And I think a guy who deserves a bit of a shout-out, and uh, now he's missed some games too this year, but is Max Sasson. Yeah. You know, every time I watch him play,
0: smart player. Knows what to do. Decent speed. Decent size. Behind Lecker he was um, probably the biggest standout forward at Dev Camp yeah. in the summer for I, me. Now, he's a little bit older, so yeah. I took it with a of course, a bit of a grain of salt, um, yeah. but still was impressive.
1: Yeah, he has 16 points in 22 games in Abbotsford. Nine goals. Yeah. Scoring a little bit. Smart player. Um, he's he's dependable. He's good as a two-way guy. Like I think he's a guy that pe- people have slept on quite a bit, and... You know, you're know you not hearing much about him, but it wouldn't shock me if you just start seeing him play games at some point. Like uh, There could be something there in terms of a depth roll down the road with Max Hassan as well.
0: Another uh, college free agent signing uh, by this team. Uh, this comment on Bruce Devich, third pick, third-round pick, and World Junior Camp snub. Hunter's got a chip on his shoulder in a good way. I think it says a lot about him as a person. He's uh, definitely talked about that after he was uh, drafted mm-hmm. and uh, continues to play like it by leading uh, the AHL, or sorry, the OHL in points so far this year.
1: And quickly, uh, we would be remiss by not mentioning Arthur Silovs and also Nikita Tolipulo to some yes. degree as uh, the,
0: the goaltending prospects too. The goaltending pool is uh, it's deep for the Vancouver Canucks right now. Yeah, a couple of guys. <laughs> a couple of guys cooking. <laughs> so it's a bit of an assessment on the Canucks prospect pool on the back of Jonathan Mackey scoring a couple of goals in... Uh, in the World Junior semifinal and helping Sweden into the final. And he's got a real shot at being player of the tournament right now alongside some of those uh, some of those American players that have uh, stood out as well. So it's been a really good year for, for Jonathan Leckermacking, as we talked earlier this week, Probably a guy that uh, if he's not in Abbotsford by the end of the year, he's uh, in training camp next year and likely on this side of the pond for next season we've got a lot still to get to Ken Danico is going to join us and of course we'll dive into the matchup with the St. Louis Blues as the pregame gets going after four o'clock it's Dan Richo Satyar Shah you're listening to Canuck Central back in on canuck central it's dan richo and TR shaw in the Kintex studio canucks and st louis blues tonight from st louis we'll have a pre-game show firing up in just a little bit uh, we welcome in our next guest uh devils color analyst and three-time stanley cup champ ken danico thanks for this ken how are you
2: i'm doing fine how are you tonight
0: we're doing, uh, we're doing awesome. Not gonna lie, we were just uh, watching a few of your tilts with Rick Tockett in the break here on uh, on YouTube.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Rick was as as tough as it gets, and certainly a guy that uh, uh, we had a lot of battles as far as our teams being in the same division and uh, ultimately trying to achieve the same goal. But I will say, I'm very good friends with Rick Tockett today, and um, I've. Been to dinner with him many times. We laugh about it, but we, you know, when you're uh, 10, 15 years removed from your playing days, uh, you look back and, and you, you have a lot of respect for each other. And respect just from the standpoint, you find out you're a lot alike, and you want to win, and that's what it was about. But but Rick Tockett for me is probably or should be close to a Hall of Famer. Just everything he brought to the table, great guy, and I know I know he's doing a great job with Vancouver Canucks.
1: Well, and you, you know, you mentioned him being one of the toughest customers that you went up against. Like, what what made him so difficult to play against? And we all know how physical he was. But what was it in particular that made him so difficult to play against? Well, I always
2: say, and we we use this term a lot, but uh, I don't think it's uh, emphasized enough. As his compete level was second to none. I mean, he didn't want to lose a battle, a puck battle around the net, not just the fisticuffs. Where he certainly was was an excellent fighter and could really handle himself, but uh, had good hands around the net, a good shot. So he kind of brought that uh, mentality every shift, every night. So you knew if you weren't ready to play, Rick Tockett's going to beat you around the net or he's going to put a punch to your (laughs) schnoz every once in a while. So you had to just make sure, and all kidding aside, you had to make sure you were ready to play. And uh, that's why I always say, I mean, guys like him, I know, Uh, I don't know what the criteria is, but guys like him, for me, uh, every team wants a Rick Tockett and the career he had and over 400 goals and uh, the Stanley Cups and things he accomplished. That's why he's a, I say borderline Hall of Famer, but for me, that's my type of player. (laughs) So uh, I didn't like to battle him always, but he was just the guy that every night he was going to bring it. And I knew before the game in the dressing room or going to the game 4 p.m., I'm gonna to have to battle Rick Tockett in the corners. I'm gonna to have to battle him in front of the net, and it's never easy.
0: Yeah, over 400 goals and just under a uh, thousand points. He did have quite the career. I mean, I, I when we when we looked it up in the break, I didn't know we were gonna have so much to so much material to go through. But you guys had uh, a number of battles. But what was funny in, in watching uh, the different ones that are up there like there always seemed to be a level of respect uh, between you two. Like there's always a couple of words after whatever tussle you guys were having, whether it be in front of the net or an actual like drop the mitts and and go at each other. But like there was a a legitimate respect between you two on the ice.
2: You know, it's funny you say that. And it's early on we came in relatively the same time. I think I was drafted the year before him, but knew all about him because, all us physical type players coming from junior. We knew about the other guys. He was in the Ontario Hockey League. I was in the Western Hockey League. We had to play some rookie games against each other, so there were some battles you prob- that probably, uh, probably aren't even out there yeah. <laughs> that started right in these rookie games that everybody knows could get awfully nasty, so uh, we pretty well knew uh, the guys we had to look out for, and I certainly was no different, and, and sure, Rick wasn't either, but as we battled each other, and as we played more and more years against each other in games, you're absolutely right. We had that mutual respect, and I, and if I look back, you and again, you reflect at the time nobody wants to give an inch, but there were words said. There were you know good battle or some nights we'd be lining up. Let's not go at it tonight, uh, Kenny. Let's just play hard type thing. Or <laughs> I would say that Tim. So there was you know just there was those certain nights maybe you weren't in the mood, and, but each each other would each guy would give. The other guy, that respect, if he was in that kind of mood, I wasn't. Maybe, and that's later in your career Mm -hmm. where we really did have that kind of respect. I love that because guys that you battle and guys that, you know, you hate at times, certainly early in our careers uh, for young guys, uh, and we're competing, like I said, for the same thing because we just wanted to win. Um, You had that respect as it went along and, and kind of go, you know, this guy hasn't budged an inch against me, and I think t- Rick Toc would say vice versa, mm-hmm. and and feel the same way that uh, eventually, yeah, you're gonna look at each other and say, you know what, uh, this guy's got my respect. Uh, he he plays the game the way I do in the right way, and I wish I could score like Rick Toc, but obviously <laughs> we have different roles. But as far as the competitiveness,
1: yeah. Well, I, and, and, you know. It's funny because you got stories about Rick Tockett, a lot of respect for Rick Tockett. It seems like everybody we speak to has a Rick Tockett story or knows Rick Tockett. I mean, what is it about guys like him that, that seem to be so tight with the entire hockey fraternity? Because Some guys, you know, get along with some guys, but it seems like uh, we, we haven't ha- spoken to a single person that doesn't consider Rick Tockett either a stand-up guy or a friend even.
2: Yeah, well, first off, he's a good guy. I mean, uh, first and <laughs> foremost, uh, off the ice. he—he he, he, Again, you talk about respect. He respects you off the ice. He's very engaging. He's passionate about hockey. Uh, those are the similar traits I was talking about. We're a lot alike, and, and we really hit it off. And, you know, you get mutual, whether it was former teammates or or certain guys that played with him, said, so you guys got to meet. And I don't even remember how Rick and I met, but it was shortly after our careers. and. And uh, our trainer, Frosty, knows Rick very well. Frosty knows every player from 1980 on, and, and we all went to dinner in Arizona a few years back, and uh, he says, "Oh, you guys got to get together. You are uh, two peas in a pod." And certainly when I'd met Rick and sat with him, it was just a passion for the game, just how he respects uh, his peers, respects just people in general. Uh That's all you want right in life and <laughs> and, and to me uh just uh, uh it was it was refreshing for sure, you know what I mean You kind of are on edge when you meet a guy that you battled a lot initially, but it's been quite some years on and then you you realize yeah, he's just a good guy that was trying to accomplish the same thing you are and uh so I'd expect that's what everybody else is saying about him. He's just a good man that has uh, that is passionate about the game uh takes it serious he's hard nosed uh, I'm sure he, he's upfront and communic- communicative with his players. I wouldn't expect it any other way.
0: Yeah, and it's—I uh, think that's sort of reflected in, in how the Canucks have, have turned their fortunes around since uh, since he took over as as head coach, right? They went from being uh, one of the worst defensive teams in the league, and all of a sudden, Rick Tockett has uh, flipped the script on this team. They've they've scored a lot of goals and they've defended a lot better than they had prior to him becoming the the head coach. I, I'm curious, from your perspective, do you feel like a a team can sort of take on the the personality of its of its head coach?
2: No question. And, and I always keep reiterating that word compete and, and you better compete. If, if you're coached by Rick Or you're not going to get the ice you expect or want or demand along the way. And I, I know you can say that about a lot of coaches, but some guys, uh, it, it, you just know it more. So, I mean, his demeanor. Uh, and again, you look at him behind the bench or in practice, I'm sure players are, uh, you have a little fear of Rick Tocky. You respect him, but you have some fear, and that's a good thing uh, from player-to-coach perspective. I, I know the coaches that I had a little fear of and uh, respected that I wanted to produce and prove to them every night that uh, I'm worthy to play, worthy to be in the lineup, worthy uh, to get ice time, and, and I, I would imagine that's something that's changed uh, once Rick Tocky got accustomed to his players and the team and surroundings. And last year, obviously, uh, defensively, they weren't very good. Now they added some better defensemen. A lot that depends on goaltending, and the goaltending has been good, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously. But still, to me, everybody says, well, they're not a good defensive team, or they don't have good defensemen. I don't buy that a lot of time. Defense, to me, and something that I took a lot of pride in, obviously, in penalty killing, is a commitment. A commitment from five guys on the ice. It's not just your defense, and you certainly have to get it uh, from your coach that – Uh, This is what I'm implementing. You'd better play away from the puck. You'd better win the majority of of your 50-50 battles, or we're not going to have any success. Mm -hmm. And once players buy in, even if you're a real offensive player and wants to play on the other side wants to cheat a little bit, you start to buy in. You start blocking that extra shot. You start finishing the man uh, a little bit more. Uh, You win that puck battle. You dig a little harder because of the coach. Uh, you're playing for, and, and just watching the Canucks. That's kind of what I see, and I'm sure what you guys are are kind of seeing and mentioning to me. But it's uh, from the games I watch, and I watch a lot of hockey. That's kind of what uh, uh, I'm sure Rick Talkers brought uh, to the to the Vancouver Canucks.
1: It's the details that they've all, all of a sudden had. Like they're, They were one of the worst teams last year with line changes, and this year they've been one of the better teams. They have a lot of clean line changes. They've had some too many men, but generally speaking, they don't, they don't leave their teammates on an island when making a line change. And Details like that, getting guys to buy in and not being selfish perhaps at the end of a shift when maybe they're trying to get some points or whatever it is, like how difficult is it to get a group to sacrifice those moments where perhaps you think you can get something on your ledger?
2: Yeah, it it can take some time, no question about it. And and again, the bench boss is the guy, the leader, the guy that uh, certainly wants to implement it sooner and later. I mean, I go way back to my day, and once Jacques Lemaire and Larry Robinson came into the organization, if we couldn't listen to them, they didn't have enough fingers and toes to put the Stanley Cup rings on uh, their hands or whatever it may be, (laughs) Uh, whether it was as players or in management or as coaches, then who are we going to listen to? So that was something Jacques Lemaire was a real stickler about as far as everybody thought it was just about a trap and playing defensive hockey and it wasn't at all what what gets overlooked is those teams championship teams I was fortunate and grateful to be part of you look at the goal scoring we were near the top of the league every year but that is never mentioned never mentioned ever we could score it was just it was a balanced attack it was four lines and it was A lot of counterattacking, making sure you cut the ice in half, make it difficult for the team to get through the neutral zone. And we never heard the word trap. That was kind of made by the media. It was just about being responsible, everything you're talking about, paying attention to detail uh, all over the ice and being connected as a five-man unit. And when he came in, it was hard for a Scott Niedemeyer. It was hard for certain players for sure. And they battled until Lemaire, you know, continued to hammer home to scotty and i can tell you a great story about needs Uh, my favorite player and love the guy i mean just an incredible effortless skater and could change a game the tempo of a game in a heartbeat but he was a guy he used to go into lamar's office as a young kid and he'll tell you the same and him and i have discussed this after his career where he'd ask for a trade he wanted to go 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 and Jacques said i know you can be a player that can play in every situation so i'm telling you to pick your spots to to, to, you know, go when you're only 100%. Don't pinch as much. Don't just carelessly go up ice. And Nieder was having a tough time with it. And all of a sudden, he was getting results. So he was getting some of his offense from good, sound, structured defensive positioning and then joining the the attack with his great legs. And then by the third year, in our defenseman meetings, we used to have those defenseman meetings before every game, and he goes – Every defenseman, you can't pinch unless you're 110% sure. He said, Nieder in that French accent, you can go anywhere now because you understand the game and you're the only guy that can get back. So I'll never forget that story. And Needs tells me the same. And he was so grateful that he, he, you know, as a young guy, we're so anxious as young players want to do more and, and different different roles. And Niedemeyer had those capabilities, obviously, offensively. But he said, I wouldn't have been. Uh, a four-time Stanley Cup champion, the de- Hall of Fame defenseman that I was, if if I didn't finally buy in after three years and didn't keep demanding to get traded <laughs> because he was just frustrated for a little bit. But he learned a lot from Jacques Lemaire, as we all did, and we butted heads with him a lot. Yeah, it doesn't mean you're not going to have your differences, but, man, uh, did he teach us how to play like a well-oiled machine and frustrate teams, and, yes – we had plenty of guys that could put the puck in the net, but our forwards were very responsible as well. But I love the Needham story because, gosh, was he a good player, and, and I could understand why a young player like him at the time would be frustrated.
0: I think we see it so much in, in the league today, uh, Ken, where you know some of these young teams and uh, you know, we just uh, Canucks just played Ottawa the other night. And, you know, they're diving in, they're trying to make things happen. And the Canucks are just, you know, taking advantage of, of every opening that that's being given uh, because this young team is is taking too many chances. Oh, boy. We, yeah, we've seen it with with Buffalo as well. And it's. It's you know we, we call it a mistake league, but the, the teams that tend to, to make the fewest mistakes, the ones that can, you know get into the staring contest and not be the one that blinks. Uh, they, they tend to come out the, the winner more often. and the Canucks have learned how to do that a lot more. but it's it's sort of a, a, a real problem around the league that I see that there's just now that the league has gotten a lot younger, you know that's where the the inefficiency is. It's on the defensive side of the puck, and a lot of players thinking they can make a play that's just that's just not there for them.
2: Well, I, you know what, and it's an excellent point and great analogy. Look, the game the game's evolved. We know that. I mean, the skill level and the speed of the game, and I love it. I mean, my our era was my era was my era. People always ask me to compare. I said, look, ours was different. It was more intimidating. There was a lot more fighting. Games changed. I've gone with the new times. I love watching the speed and the high skill and and the uh, the confidence. These 19-year-old kids come in. I watch Luke Hughes play and, and Nemitz and these guys, and they have ice water in their veins. They're willing to uh, make a play between three guys. And don't get me wrong, sometimes it's the wrong play, and they have to learn to balance that out. But they're so skilled, they're, they have those kinds of capabilities. But the more things change, the more they stay the same as far as winning consistently. You still have to play away from the puck. Play, play defensively, and if you get your top players to buy into that, that's the key. You get Patterson and Millers, and, and Quinn Hughes is buying in that we, we've got to play a 200-foot game and play smart, and it seems that's kind of what um, Rick Tockett is preaching, and, and it's no different throughout the league because uh, you got to get these young guys and, and your veterans to buy into that, that we're going to have success this way, and you're still going to mm-hmm. be able to create and make plays and get your points. Along the way, and and once you once you do that, you have your top guys buy in. You become a very dangerous team. You look at the Stanley Cup champion Vegas Golden Knights last year, big, strong, talented, but boy were they tough to get in front of the net. Were they not in the yeah. middle of the ice in all three zones, and thus why they won. But they had that skill and speed you still need mm-hmm. in today's game to kind of be that perfect team. That's what they were to be, and. They reminded me, that's why I say the more things change, the more they stay the same. They reminded me almost identical to my 1995 Devils team that swept the mighty Detroit Red Wings in the Stanley Cup Finals who were heavily mm-hmm. favored. Is They had four balanced line, lines, big defensemen, six guys that could go out there and, and move the puck, get involved in the play, a nice mixture with the speed of a young Niedemar that I, I talked about and, and had the grit. But we it, it was very similar to today's game with, uh, maybe a little more pace the way it's played. But uh, that's the part where I say it does stay the, ch- stay the same. And I think most coaches in today's game will tell you that. And the balance for coaches is you don't want to stifle players' creativity and mm-hmm. making plays and, and doing some of those special things. So many guys that fourth liners can do today that couldn't do back in the 80s and 90s, you want to continue to have them improve and develop but it's, it's figuring out that fine line, that balance. You mentioned Ottawa. We just were in Ottawa as well about 10 days ago. And I'm going, this team is way too good, way too talented, and we beat them pretty handily as well. And it was exactly what you're saying. They just leave too much of the middle of the ice home. They don't have that team commitment from five guys yet. Once they figure that out, that team is, should be good, should be dangerous. And to me, it's, again, a commitment because everybody, hard work, playing in the right spots, not cheating uh, on the wrong side of the puck and going for, you know, uh, when you're down low and it's a three and two and you're trying to look for a breakout pass, so you're cheating outside the blue line, all those little detailed things it's just a commitment everybody's capable of it i know some players are better defensively than others but everybody is capable of it and teams like buffalo and ottawa from here you nailed it i love their talent love their skill once they all buy in i i think and figure it out they're going to be really good hockey team
1: You mentioned your Devils, winners of four of the last five games coming off a victory, playing Chicago tonight, but also playing Vancouver on Saturday. And We know what happened last time these two teams met, but one thing that I was tracking this year with this Devils team was a lot of, uh, you know, changes on the blue line and not, you know, not the same veterans on the back Mm -hmm. end. It's going to take some time for those guys to come together. Are they coming together more uh, as a blue line and their overall team game?
2: Well, it's getting better. I mean, overall, they've given up way too many goals. They're, they're near the bottom, and that goes hand in hand, and I'm not going to just beat up on the goaltenders because so many people do throughout the league on teams. Yeah, their numbers aren't good enough at times. They have not been consistent enough. Uh, tech has been good uh, in spots and stretches. Last year, he was better, and he knows it, and he's got to get to that level. Nico Dawes, a young guy that's come in, and Akira Schmidt, who without him, the Devils don't, beat the Rangers in the first round, is still a young kid learning. So they felt he needs some more nurturing down on the AHL affiliate in Utica. So they bring Dawes up, a guy that they believe has a bright future, hadn't played in the NHL for a couple of seasons. He was rushed into action with all the injuries they had a couple of seasons ago. But it looks like he's ready to take that next step. He's only played a couple of games, and he's been pretty solid in them. He's won both. So they're trying to figure that out. But with that, yes, they have three young defensemen. Nemitz, though, for 19 years old, is going to be that two-way guy that might right now be our best all-around defenseman because he does take care of the details and, and the defensive part of it, which is amazing for a 19-year-old, and he's played extremely well. Will there be learning curves along the way? Absolutely. Luke Hughes, well, he reminds me of a young Scott Niedemeyer, and I don't like to compare a lot or throw names around, but, man, can he skate just like his brother Quinn, but in a great burst of speed, Long stride and effortless uh, skating ability it, it, hes is game-changing, and he showed that in, in a late goal against Columbus when he went end-to-end. Uh, boy, did that uh, remind me of Niedermeyer in 95 against the Red Wings. So I think they're set for a long time in the future, but as they're going to be growing pains, Kevin Ball's that more physical presence, big body still learning, only 21. So they took some hits. <clears throat> excuse me, you lose the Severson in the Graves, and that's because of a cap world. You couldn't keep them. Uh, the amount of money they got from Pittsburgh and Columbus, Severson actually signed with the Devils in a sign-and-trade. Uh, so it hasn't been as consistent. The continuity hasn't been quite there. But, again, that's about the forwards, too. For me, the young players in general, the young defensemen, have probably been our best defensemen at times. It's the veteran guys that have to get to that level again. They've been decent, the Marinos, Siegenthalers, Along the way, I think Colin Miller's been added a nice uh, role player. He's uh, a nice depth guy. He's played pretty well. But those guys have been a little inconsistent this year, where once they get the last year, their level of play was excellent and just solid, and and they've been pretty good. They're getting there again, guys, right now. But uh, once that goaltending gets a little better, they hope it does uh, consistently. and, And the defense does their job in their own zone collectively with the forwards they're going to be a dangerous team they can put the puck in the net we know that they've got tremendous speed but that's where they have dipped this year we knew it was going to be a lot tougher i certainly did i know the fans passionate in every every fan base they just expect it to be smooth sailing after 111 112 point season winning a playoff round it just doesn't work that way it's one step two steps forward one step back at times and that's kind of been the challenge of ha- handling higher expectations so far for this team, but it looks like they're starting around a little more into form. And let's not forget, they've ran into a ton of injuries this year. They've had Nico and Jack out together uh, yeah. for a stretch. That really killed them. They've got Meyer and and out now, and that's going to be tough. Those are two veteran guys they rely on. They both will be out this weekend as well, and I'm not sure the timeline, and they're learning to deal with that, how to deal with guys when key players are out of their lineup, which last year they stayed relatively healthy as well. So a lot of factors in there. It's not an excuse, but it's a reality for a young team when you have injuries to key players as well.
0: Ken, we could talk hockey all day with you, but we got to run. Thanks for this.
2: My pleasure, guys. I could talk all day with you, too, and <laughs> nice to be on with you. But
0: take care. Have a great evening. Uh, there is Ken Danico, three-time Stanley Cup champ and Devils color analyst. Uh, the Canucks Central pregame show, Canucks and Blues, coming up next on Sports at six fifty.